1: Always a pleasure to have our next guest on the Kenny and JT Show. You hear him every year calling the action of your Cleveland Browns here on WHBC and all along the Browns radio network. Jimmy Donovan joining us here today on the Kenny and JT Show. Jimmy, thanks for the time. Happy New Year. How are you, my friend?
0: I am good. Happy New Year to you guys. It's always good to talk to you.
1: All right, Jimmy, 7-10 uh, and ten is the final mark. You are what your record says you are. The old saying there from Bill Parcells, uh, I believe it was, from, from back in the day. You were up close. You watched them all season long. Uh, give us your thoughts on what you saw from the 7-10 and ten Browns.
0: Well, Kenny, I think it was a very disappointing season, and I think that uh, even when you have this kind of a season, you're always looking for some kind of progress, Um, I think that's very difficult to find throughout this year, and let me go through it for you. I think defensively, you take a look at it, and it was a real bad year for them defensively. Same old mistakes, a lot of huge mistakes, glaring mistakes, problems stopping the run, problems in the secondary with these huge busted coverages, and it led to the firing of the defensive coordinator. So obviously they recognized the defense was a major disappointment Offensively, I think the team regressed uh, when the uh, insertion of Deshaun Watson for the last six games when he went into the lineup. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the last six games were totally tailored to him and getting him back into the flow of things. And I think that, you know, at, at first sight, I think the speed of the game was too much for him. And I think that's obviously because he was out of the game for two years. And I think that offensively they struggled. They didn't know how to play with him, and he had a difficult time playing with them. And you can try and do that in all kinds of OTA practices in April and May and June and then training camp in July. And he got a lot of work during those months. But after all, Kenny, um, that's touch football during those months. Once he got in there and it was real action playing against other NFL teams, and a lot of them had a lot still on the table when they played the Browns. Uh, It just wasn't a good look. So offensively, that's a big disappointment that they regressed, and statistically and in rankings, they regressed as the season went along. Special teams had a lot of bumps and bruises throughout the season, and you're dealing with a young kicker, and that's always going to lead you to you know, some difficult times and the kid missed eight field goals and he missed two extra points and he had a difficult time kicking in his own home stadium. And so he's going to have to get a lot better. Now they are a hundred percent behind him because they drafted him and they feel that his talent is going to bear out and he'll get a hold of things and get the hang of it. And he'll be much better. So those are the three phases of the game special teams, offense, defense, and there was no progress in any of those areas. So I think it's chalked up as a very disappointing year. And then it's so hard to look at the record if you write it down on a piece of paper, if you look at it in the final standings and see double-digit losses. I just thought we were past those days.
2: Jimmy, I want to tell you once again how much I really enjoyed watching the Red Zone on ballet Sports. You guys did a fantastic. Oh, thank you. I want to tell you, I watched that show instead of watching the National Championship. It's that good. <laughs> and you get a lot of information that we don't normally get, but we do pick and part some information when we watch a game, and anybody that knows football understands what usually goes on in a situation like that. But I want you to echo your thoughts on letting the fans into the organization. What do you truly mean by that?
0: Well, I think, JT, I think that, um, you know, just before I came on with you guys, I I had a little time this afternoon and I was kind of looking back and I went on YouTube and I was looking back at some of the great Browns games back in the mid eighties when they, you know, when Kozar was here and Mack and Biner were in the backfield and, you know, and they were in those AFC championship games and they were playing big games against the Bengals and the Steelers and the Jets playoff game. And, the level of intensity of the crowd and of the team um, was just so much higher and so much better than what I have seen since 1999. Understandably so when you have teams that are struggling record-wise. But like I said, two years ago I really thought that we were on our way when they made the playoffs and they went 11-5 and and beat the Steelers over at Heinz Field. And, you know, I thought that this was just the start of something very, very good. And it's been very underwhelming now the last couple of years and disturbing, I think. And what I mean is I go back to those days and everything was just so wide open. And the connection between the fans and that team and the coach and the fans was it was really it. Well. Would be Buffalo like what they have up in Buffalo right now. And I know, and it's even more – it was even before, you know, the, the awful situation that happened in the Monday night game with DeMar Hamlin. I mean, there was a connection that the fans and the area had with the Browns players and coaches, and we all went through it together. And we got so much information out of the team because they were just so comfortable with the fans, and, and they love the fans. Um, that There's a big wall of China – uh, not just up here in Cleveland, but all around the NFL. And and I think that when you have a, a special area like Northeast Ohio and the history of the Browns and what has made the history of the Browns great, a lot of it is the dedication and the love of the fans for the team, no matter how they play on the field. When you keep stiff-arming them away and not telling them, you know, what's going on, what's really going on, What are you going to do about it when it's just when you're just meeting once a year with the media and the fans, you know, hold on to that 30 minute press conference? I'm sorry, but that's not enough. And I think that that's what I mean. I think if they would open themselves up a little bit more, a lot more, preferably to to the fans in the area, they would feel more of a group effort by everybody that we're going to pull in the right direction. But they're very isolated. They're not alone in the NFL in behaving that way, but I think here they should take a look at something that has to change, and that would be one of the ways I would change it
1: amen to you Jimmy and that's why we love having you on and on that show you don't hold back you tell it like you see it sometimes people may may not be happy with it fans sometimes need a dose of reality and you bring it and that's why we appreciate you uh, and the way you do things Uh, I want to go back to the Deshaun Watson thing and and you said how they uh, and I agree with you that Stefanski they kind of catered the offense towards him in those last six games they go three and three right but you could see the struggles uh, that were there how concerned are you that this is going to carry over to next season or was that or should that have been expected from him even though we look at Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy looks like the MVP <laughs> of the NFL for the San Francisco 49ers and he's not making 230 million dollars Jimmy
0: <laughs> Yeah good point um I I did you know I think that we were all hoping that uh, when he went in there uh finally playing in early December in his first game in Houston that maybe the first game would be a little bit rough, certainly because of the locale of the game and everything that had happened in the Houston area with him and the Texans and the whole community down there. Um, and that after one rough game, he would just take off and go. And um, and that didn't happen. I think that maybe we were all naive uh, about that. And maybe some people in the Browns were naive about that too. I just think that he definitely um, had a lot of rust on his game. And he was away from the game for a long period of time. And no matter what your level of talent is and uh, athleticism, and I think he's got a lot of talent and definitely a lot of athleticism, it still is too long to be away from competitive football at that level in the NFL. So I think he really struggled with that. So the best we got, Kenny, was one good half of football. That was in Washington, and that was the second half after a really stumbling and bumbling first half in that game. And then the other games I thought we got glimpses of what he can do. And they were only glimpses. I mean, there was a play here and there where you would go, wow, okay, I see you know what he's going to be able to do when we put this thing all together. But the thing that I uh, – my original point to you a couple of minutes ago is that when I would talk to the Browns offensive linemen, um, once he got in there, they would say, hey, listen, this is – this is difficult. We don't know what he's doing some of the times. And that's why we're getting hit with ineligible man downfield and some holding penalties because we're having to hold on to our blocks a little bit longer, literally. And, and that's because <laughs> you know, he's scrambling around in the pocket. So I am confident that at the beginning of next season or next summer when we all gather out in Berea and, and they go through their training camp leading up to the regular season, We'll see a lot more of the Deshaun Watson that we want to see. Um and he understands that, Kenny. I think he's been very, very open about that. He realizes he's gonna to have to be a lot better and he definitely is confident that he'll be able to do that. Um and it starts next year. I mean it has to there's no more of this well, it's gonna take some time. Uh the time was these six games, and now that time has passed. And now he's got to be ready to go, and he's got to be better, much better, than he was at the end of the year.
2: Offensive linemen aren't the only ones that have to get used to a scrambling quarterback. So do the receivers. They've got to go to the yeah. open spot. They didn't do it either. Jim, I-, I want to ask you about analytics. You can't talk Browns without somebody bringing up the word analytics. <laughs> Isn't football always based on analytics? 40-yard time. Can a guy jump? How much does he bench press? How strong is he? my problem with this team is the fact that during the combine they used to have that wonderleg test and we understand that my question is this don't they interview these players and say that you might be talented but we don't think you fit our organization obj uh, jadavian clowney don't they interview these players
0: well i think in the cases of those two guys uh no i don't think i, <laughs> I don't think they've interviewed i think that their careers um kind of spoke for themselves, their resume, what they did on the field. Now, as far as young players, absolutely. I think, like every other team, they put down stakes in Indianapolis and, and have the 30 or so visits that they're allowed pre-draft in Berea and workouts. And I think, I think they go through all of that. Um, but, no, I don't think – I think with Clowney in that, in that case uh, and OBJ certainly, I think that in their minds those were wow moves. And you put up with those guys because they have this great talent and this great ability to rise up and be able to win a football game for you or hopefully a number of football games for you. And so you kind of bite your lip and, and swallow hard and hope that uh, you, know, you can deal with some of the idiosyncrasies that they have uh, that can really cause a problem with your football team. But as far as the young players, JT, yeah, I think they definitely go through all the research And the analytics of that, like you mentioned, the 40 time and, you know, if they were a tree, what kind of tree would they like to be? (laughs) <laughs> jim donovan our guest on the
1: kenny and jt show uh breaking down the browns seven and ten season and looking ahead uh to next year all right the biggest move so far jimmy uh joe woods uh, and they're going to replace yeah. the the defensive coordinator uh special teams mike Prefer, another up and down season uh he's like morris the cat he's got nine lives uh is he going to be around is he still going to be the special teams coach moving forward
0: you know, Kenny, I think so, because I think it would have been done already. Okay. I don't think that that would be fair to Mike Prefer. Um, if you were letting him, you know, hang in the breeze here. I mean, now we're a couple of days, we're three days separated from, you know, the, getting off the buses from Pittsburgh on Sunday evening. Um, and they did the, the Joe Woods thing was done Sunday evening and then announced, uh, Monday morning. So I think so. I think they felt that near the end of the year, um, and maybe even a little bit before that, I think they felt they got, they improved on special teams. Like I said, now the young kicker is, uh, that's going to be a project. I mean, I know everybody was wowed by, you know, what he did on Instagram and on YouTube and the <laughs> pregames, but it was very different, you know, kicking at First Energy Stadium. Uh, when it really mattered. It mattered and when the weather was what it was down there and what the winds were down there. So I think they understood that, that he was dealing with a young kicker. I think they felt that their return game improved. The kid Jerome Ford did a good job returning kickoffs. And the other thing I will say this, and I don't think Mike has used this as an excuse at all, but their return game really got just uh, torpedoed in training camp when the guy they brought in to be their return guy – and quite possibly a slot receiver in their offense, Jakeem Grant went down pretty early in training camp with that Achilles tendon tear. And so he was lost for the year. And I think that they were, you know, betting that their, their return game and their overall look special teams was going to be much better with him spearheading that. So because of all that, I think that Mike Prefer will be back.
2: Well, Jim, that, that leads us to the next question. Moving forward, we think about this team, and everybody wants to know about the salary cap. We know what the needs yeah. are. Do you think they address linebacker, wide receiver, defensive line? And if so, where are they going to get these players?
0: Well, I think, first of all, what you're going to see, um, if you're worried about the salary cap, they think they're okay right now at the start of uh, you know the off season. Um, so, But they're going to have to add to that, and there's no doubt about it. So what I think you're going to see is you'll see a number of players uh, and you'll see their contracts get restructured, I think. And the first one will probably be Deshaun Watson. They'll do something mathematically there, uh, you know, that they can come up with a way to get more room off of that contract and, and work some stuff, kind of like what Patrick Mahomes did with Kansas City. And other guys have done it too, and I think that they're going to do that with him. John Johnson III, I think, is another player yeah, I think he's got about a $10 million hit coming up, and I don't know if we got $10 bucks out of that uh, this past year. Mm. And uh, so I think you would see something there. Uh, so I think that's one thing that they'll do as far as keeping the books and making the cap look a little bit healthier for them. Now, the positions that you rattled off, absolutely. Um, but I think that the defensive positions, JT, will probably be dictated by who is going to be the defensive coordinator And what is he going to do with the defense? But I would think these are pretty brainy guys that they're bringing in off the first list of candidates that they're going to interview. And I don't think you have to be a genius to look and say, wait a minute, you're trying to win with these defensive tackles? You're trying to win with 210-pound linebackers? Um, So I think obviously, yeah, there's going to have to be – a change there. Now, I don't know if there'll be a scheme change, but certainly I think physically they're going to have to change up front and certainly at linebacker. I think when those linebackers got hurt, when JOK got hurt and Phillips got hurt, I think um, they they saw probably the wrongness in what they did Mm -hmm. by going with these smaller, you know, quote, faster linebackers uh, because when they put Taki Taki in there at middle linebacker, he really stood up before he got hurt. And one of the reasons was is because he's built to be a linebacker. Right. I mean, Reggie Ragland, when he went in there, I mean he, he really stuck out like a sore thumb in a good way because he's a real big linebacker. And suddenly these guys can physically make plays. Now, the wide receiver position is very, very important because this is the way I look at it at wide receiver. They have Amari Cooper, who was terrific. He was the best move of the season. Um, I think right now, at least the way it played up, you know, even better than the quarterback move. Um, they have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is developing, but still developing, and I think that he's going to be a terrific player. Other than that, they have a bunch of projects. Mm. Schwartz, and that project's not going well. David Bell. His rookie year did not go well. Michael Woods, who is a, you know, kind of a raw rookie out of Oklahoma who played at the end of the year. They are one, at least one receiver shy in their passing package. And I'm sure Deshaun Watson has, if he hasn't already, he certainly will when he meets and has these meetings with Kevin Stefanski and says, Hey, you got to get me another receiver. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would endorse that when he does that. So, uh, those three areas, JT. No doubt about it. It's not a mystery. That's got to be on the shopping list right away.
2: Jim, there are five vacancies that we know of as head coaching candidates or jobs in the NFL right now. Those head coaches are probably going to come in. They're going to bring in their own coordinators. Today the Browns Mm -hmm. interviewed Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz got a Super Bowl under his belt. He won one in, I believe, Super Bowl 52 with the Eagles. They're not allowed to interview anyone that's still alive in the playoffs that we know of. How imperative, how quickly should the Browns make a decision on defensive coordinator?
0: Well, I think pretty quick. I really do. I, and for, you know, the exact reason you're talking about, because it will get chaotic once these other teams that need a head coach start to hire those guys and fill out staffs. Um, and I think that's why the Browns went right away. The fact that the Browns guys had that list ready to go to seek permission To talk to these candidates, they had that ready to go. That tells you that the Joe Woods decision was made long before Sunday in Pittsburgh. I mean, that was made a while ago that they were going to make a change because they obviously did a lot of research on the guys they wanted to go right to. Now, these next two days with Jim Schwartz today and Brian Flores right after that, perhaps tomorrow, it seems, uh, getting those interviews, those are really two strong candidates and I would think if they can get a deal with one of those guys, I don't know too much about the candidate from Seattle. I know of Gerard Mayo, and I know he's very highly thought of in New England, even as a possible head coaching candidate somewhere down the road. But I know these two guys. I know Schwartz and I know Brian Flores are you know very respected and could come in here and I think take a hold of a defense that probably has too many divas on it right now and mm. needs to have – more of a taskmaster approach these guys have been given two years to kind of do it their way and it hasn't worked now they got to do it whoever this new coordinator is they have to do it their way and it has to get a lot better and they have to fall in line if they're going to be as good of players as they say they are with all this potential and all this ability to be an elite player then i think they have to realize they need some coaching and it's got to be better on the field but these next two days these are two really solid candidates that I would be happy with either one of them.
1: Jim, as you look at the front office, Andrew Barry, you mentioned great move, Amari Cooper, draft picks. Yeah. Eh so far right with andrew barry uh how much of the blame for back-to-back losing seasons moves with baker mayfield last year deshaun watson the trade this offseason? how how much of the blame for only 15 wins the last two years falls on the front office led by andrew barry and the rest of the ivy
0: leaguers (laughs) um yeah uh i think that um well, it has to, Kenny. I mean, it has to. Um, and I think next year becomes a very, very critical year for all of them in the front office. I mean, for all of them. I mean, the 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 shine of making the playoffs a couple of years ago in that magical year for them, you know, that has dulled now. Um, you know, it's kind of gone. I mean, that's that's a distant memory. And these last two years have been very, very difficult to figure out. So I think, yeah, I think the blame has to rest with them right now that they have not been able to continue on at the pace that they were on in 2020, and they have to figure out why is that, um, and and what has happened here. Now, there is a, you know, the the Watson situation was a, um, you know, it was a it was a very very unique situation, and I'm not talking about the contract, but I am talking about the fact that when you got them. You knew that you weren't going to have them for the entire year, and I don't think that they felt it was going to be 11 games, but it was still not going to be a full season. So, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that they all get a mulligan because of that. I mean, the but the fact of the matter was that that uh, transaction and everything that surrounded and was attached to it when it arrived in Cleveland you know, begged for the fact that it was going to be a very, very interrupted season. You were going to have really two seasons. You're going to have the first 11 games and the last six games.
1: Jimmy, I'm looking at it right now, and while Andrew Barry's on the hot seat, I think Kevin Stefanski's on the hot seat. What about Jimmy Haslam and and ownership? Took over in 2012, one winning season since then, and this year uh, you have the Deshaun Watson decision, which, you know, was, uh, you know, a major distraction for the players, for the coach, and Jimmy and, and Miss D didn't say much about it, right? They they were out of the country or something when they held that first press conference. Then you had some right. kid steal a golf cart uh, doing donuts on the field, right, at First Energy Stadium. <laughs> you had, you had right. a fan throwing a bottle at Jimmy Haslam, right? Uh, Miles Garrett, the car crash. Jadavian Clowney, uh, you know, burning the bridges on his way out. Uh, from the top on down, they always say it starts at the top, what about ownership? We, we talk about blame. Uh, does it start there and trickle all the way down?
0: Well, as you list that, Kenny, boy, that would make for one heck of a reality show on Bravo, <laughs> wouldn't it? If you put all that, <laughs> you put all that together. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, it starts at the top. It's, you're the one that really creates the culture. Uh, it's your ownership. You're the one that shapes the franchise, and we're way past the early years. When you're trying to learn how to reside in the NFL as an owner, um, and and now you're deep into it, um, but I still can't think that when they made the deal for Desha- Deshaun Watson back on March 18th, I believe was the day they made the trade and announced it. When they got him, I think that they had to, as a group, sit around and saying, "Hey, listen." This is probably a move for next year Mm. more than this year because we realize it's going to be an interrupted season. So I think that they're putting all the chips down that um, the Deshaun Watson era with the Cleveland Browns really starts next season. And that's when you start judging what they did, how much they paid them, the terms of a guaranteed contract. Uh, was it a bust, was it one of the worst moves, or is it going to pay off? And if it does pay off, will other teams emulate that? So I really do believe that, you know, they probably said, let's try and get what we can out of this this season. But next season when he is free and clear and can play the entire year without all of these NFL or legal interruptions, um, you know, we'll be much better for it.
1: And they can't come out and say that at the beginning of the year, right, Jimmy? Because the fans, that'll be ticked off that you're looking ahead the next year. But in reality, I think you nailed it, uh, as you always do. Jimmy, thanks so much for the time. Fantastic job, as always, this year, calling games on the Browns Radio Network. Again, Happy New Year, and we'll talk again somewhere down the road here, all right? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Jim Donovan, one of the best in the business breaking it down, telling it like it is, play-by-play descriptions of Mm -hmm. the Browns, when they're good, when they're bad. Uh, And we always appreciate him coming on, JT. makes time for us all the time. That was
2: the fear, wasn't it? That they would sacrifice the season to get Deshaun Watson.
1: And they did. And now, well, everything's on to next year uh, when uh, he'll be there for all 17 games, hopefully. Right. (laughs) And I say that, uh, you know, uh, laughing a little bit, but you just never know with the Browns and with Watson.